welcome. <clears throat> that feels loud. Is that loud? <laughs> Can you hear me in the back? Okay. This should be a study guide uh, that made it around. If you don't have one, maybe you can throw a hand up and anybody that has extras. I handed them off to a lot of the, the kids this morning. And they did a good job, but maybe not a complete one. <laughs> Any extras, we can get them right here. Keep a hand up if you want one. I have one more for Lindsay right here. She comes out. <laughs> All right, so we're in Acts 21. As you see at the top of your study guide, we're going to be Acts 21, verse 40, all the way to chapter 22, verse 22. You can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts 21 and 22. That's where we're going to be this morning. Now, you know, all throughout the book of Acts, you've got these little snippets of uh, what did they say? What did they preach? And right here, you know, you'll get Peter said this, and you get several verses of what Peter said. Or, or Paul, you get Paul said this, and several verses of what Paul said. And we're going to get something like that this morning. Where we hear a message that Paul preached. And specifically, it's the first time that we hear him with his own mouth uh, speaking about his conversion. About his, uh, his encounter with Jesus and his conversion. Now, of course, we read about it in Acts 9. But this is the account of him actually saying it to a group of people. So we're going to get to dig into that this morning. Let's pray. We'll do that. Father, thank you for your word. Again, Lord, we say your word is precious to us. Every word here. You said not one jot, one tittle would pass away from it, Lord, until all is fulfilled. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you, God, that we can open it up. That we can open up your word this morning and seek to know you and seek to obey you. And that's exactly what we want to do, Lord. Holy Spirit, please reveal Christ to us. The greatest Savior, most glorious person we have ever heard of, Lord. Help us to know more about him. And take us past mere knowledge, Lord, that we might know him like a son knows his father. Help us to know Christ. And Lord, help us to obey. You told us in your word to set apart Christ in our hearts as holy. Help us to do that, Lord. And you told us to be ready, to be always ready to give a defense for anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within us. And God, I pray you'd help us to obey that this morning. That you would equip us and prepare us to give a defense to anyone anyone who asks us about the hope that's in us, use this passage to prepare us to obey that verse. Holy Spirit, we need you. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. We believe it, Lord. 
that unless you build the house, unless you help us this, this morning, Lord, we're just going through the motions. And we, we, we don't want to do that, Lord. Please, please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to take this passage under uh, three headings. As you see there on your study guide. Sarah, would you mind shutting that door right there? Thank you. Sorry, y'all. So we're going to take this in three headings. First heading, as you see on your study guide, is Paul addressing a hostile mob. He's addressing, think about it, he's addressing a hostile mob. Look at verse, chapter 21, verse 40. And when he had given him permission, now that's, that's uh, the Roman leader in Jerusalem here, has given him permission, the Roman tribune has given him permission to speak. Paul, standing up on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, in the next chapter we'll see what he said. But what we see here is Paul is addressing a hostile mob. Now, why do I say they're a hostile people? Because when you read chapter 21, if you remember reading that last week, these people have been falsely accusing Paul. They're saying stuff like Paul brought a Greek into the temple, into the place where he's not supposed to bring him, and they're lying about him. It's not true. They're hostile against Paul, willing to believe whatever. Not to mention... When they pointed him out, the, the mob actually beat him almost to death. Beat him to a place where he could not even walk up the steps without the help of other people. They beat Paul. This is a hostile mob. He's addressing people that just beat him down. And they are asking for the execution of Paul. This mob is asking that he would die. They're saying, away with this man. Away with this man. And so he's addressing a hostile people. Now, why are these people so hostile? And there's a lot to that. There's a lot to answer in that question of why these people are so hostile towards Paul. But let me just try to give you uh, some underlying root sins that have made these people so hostile. I'll just give you four quick underlying root sins in this mob that's making them hate Paul and want him to die. Number one is unbelief. They had not accepted Christ Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. And so in their mind, Christianity and Christ is not the fulfillment of their Judaism. But rather it's heresy and they hate it. They're walking in unbelief. So brothers and sisters, beware of unbelief. Number two, slander. Slander. They have believed false things about Paul. When Paul first arrived in Jerusalem, if you remember in Acts 21, he first arrived. They said, listen, all these people, they've heard these things about you, Paul. We know that it's not true, but they've heard these things. So we need to try to figure out a way to, uh, to, to rid your name of this slander. But these people had believed the slander about Paul. That slander, that's what slander does. It's so dangerous. It, you hear slander lies about people and it lands on you, it grabs you, and next thing you know, you're passing that slander on to someone else. And so because of slander, they hate this man. Brothers and sisters, we need to beware of slander. Not only speaking it, but allowing it to land on us. It's very dangerous. Number three, pride. 
Pride. Remember what they kept saying in Acts 21? Uh, this, but this is the man that speaks against the Jewish people and the law in this temple. How dare him speak about speak against our proud heritage? These people are filled with pride. They can't stand the thought that somebody would speak against their proud heritage. And so they want to kill him. Filled with, filled with pride. And number four, hatred. They hate not only this man, but they hate the Gentiles. They hate them. They said, we heard that they, he brought a Greek, he brought a Gentile into the place in the temple that he should not go. And later on, as we read the very end of Paul's message in chapter 22, the last word that Paul says is Gentiles. Now, he's got more to say, but as soon as Gentiles comes out of his mouth, these people explode with anger and they start calling for his death again. They hate the Gentiles. They're filled with hatred. We need to be aware of this. Did you know that hatred can keep you out of heaven? That hatred can condemn you to hell? You go read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and Jesus is headed into Jerusalem, but he has to pass through a Samaritan village. And it says they did not receive Jesus because they knew he was headed to Jerusalem. Samaritans hate the Jews. Hatred kept these people from receiving Christ. And these people too are filled with hatred. So here they are, this mob filled with unbelief, receiving slander and giving slander, filled with pride, filled with hatred. They're so hostile to Paul that they literally beat him to a place that he cannot walk up the stairs. Look at verse 35 of chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 35. And when he came to the steps, when Paul came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. This man has been beat half to death. The violence of the crowd is overwhelming. They want to kill him. They hate him. He can't even walk up the steps by, by himself. And so how does Paul respond? What does he do? Does he cower and be quiet? Or what does he do? Look down with me. And this is beautiful. At verse 39, if you remember it. There he is, beaten half to death. And Paul replied, he's speaking... He's speaking now to the one who's taking him up the steps, the ones that are carrying him. He's speaking now to that Roman tribune. And he, and he says this, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. And listen to this. I beg you, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that a beautiful picture in your mind that this man is beaten half to death? He can hardly walk up the steps. And it's like he's grabbing hold of these, this Roman trigger and saying, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Just let me talk to these people. Let me say something to them. Let me get a word. I know they hate me, but let me, get a, let me get a word out to these people. Now, if you remember, Paul came to Jerusalem from the very beginning knowing he knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt because the Holy Spirit testified in every single city that when he got to Jerusalem, afflictions and imprisonment awaited him there. And yet he came anyways. And so here he is, beaten half to death. And in the midst of his suffering, his heart is inflamed with a desire to see Jesus exalted and these souls saved. I beg you, just let me talk to him. Just let me say something to him. I want to see Christ exalted. I want these souls to be saved. Let me speak to him. He wants to speak to the hostile mob. 
Now, is that an appropriate thing to do? Is it an appropriate thing to do to speak to people the gospel that don't want to hear it? Is that appropriate? Is it okay for you to go to someone that does not care about your Christ and tell them the truth about Jesus? Is it okay for you to go up to the abortion place to people that hate the message you preach and herald Jesus Christ to them? Is it okay for you to go to the, what do they call it, the Adaman Islands? I may be saying that wrong. To go to that island where a tribe has killed every group of people that come there. Kill them, kill them, kill them. Is it okay to go there with the gospel and try to preach Christ to them though they hate you? Well, if we go off of Paul's example, I think it's a beautiful thing. And he stands up in the midst of a hostile mob that hates him. And he begins, he says, I beg you, let me, let me say something. And he, proclaim, he proclaims Christ to these people. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. Second heading here. Let's actually look at Paul's message. Now his message is found in verses 1 through 21. Verses 1 through 21. Now we're going to break that down into, its, into different parts. But before we do that, let me ask you this. What kind of message is this? What kind of message does he preach right here? And what he's preaching is a defense. A defense. Look at verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. This is a defense. This is a Greek word. Some people I've heard pronounce it apologia or apologia or the way most people here say it is apologia. That's the word. It's, from, it's the word from which we get the word apologetics. He's given an apology. He's given a, a, an apologetic message. He's given a defense here. That's what he's given, give, giving them according to this word. Now that word, okay, for defense is going to be used from this point on. It's going to be used to describe Paul's speeches throughout the book of Acts, the rest of the book of Acts. This is Paul, the apologist, throughout the, book, the rest of the book of Acts. This word, I'm going to highlight it because it's going to be used over and over again. Now, I want you to think about it. What kind of, what do you mean a defense? This is not so much a personal defense, like, man, my name has been drug, dr dragged through the mud and I want to defend my name. It's not so much that. We don't see him stand up and say, wait a minute, I didn't bring Trophimus into the temple. He doesn't even mention that slander. His concern is not with self-preservation. His concern is not with self-glory, that he wants to be lifted up. That's not his Concern. In fact, if you remember Luke chapter 21, in fact, I want to read that to you. I believe Paul had something in his mind like this in Luke 21. Listen to verse 12. Jesus says, and you imagine that Paul's got that, this in his mind. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prison and you will be brought before kings and governors. Sounds like what's happening to Paul, right? And listen to this phrase. For my name's sake. This, this persecution, this being dragged before rulers, this, this suffering that you face. Listen, 
This will be your opportunity to bear witness. What Paul has in his mind is not self-exaltation, but this is an opportunity for me to bear witness to the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is a defense, but not so much a defense of himself, but a defense of Christ. This is apologetics of Christ, a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His ultimate goal is to see Christ exalted, Jesus lifted up, and souls saved. That's his ultimate goal. Now, I want you to, I want you to think, right? we haven't read his message yet. But as we read through his message, you're going to see those things come out really clearly. We're going to read it in just a moment. You're going to see these two things. That what he's ultimately concerned about, what he's ultimately defending, is the exaltation of Jesus and the salvation of souls. The exaltation of Jesus is easy to see in what we're about to read. Because Paul doesn't make a beeline for defending himself. He makes a beeline for that time that Jesus appeared to him and he saw him and he fell on his face and went blind. He wants to exalt Christ in what we're about to read. Now, the fact that he wants souls to be saved is almost just as obvious. And here's what I mean by that. Just one way you can see it. Paul is the man that wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said this. He says, I have become all things to all men that I might win some. Man, he wanted to win some souls. And so he says, I've become all things to all men. He says, I became a Jew. I became as the Jews that I might win the Jews. Now, obviously, he's not talking about entering in, into sin or worldliness and these sort of things. But he becomes like the Jews that he might win the Jews. And we see that in his message. Now, before we read it, let me just show, show you some places where you see that in his message. Okay, I'll give you five quick ones. Number one, he's speaking in the Hebrew language. We saw that in the last verse of chapter 21. He addressed them in Hebrew. And then listen, he was just speaking to the tribune in Greek, but now he switches. He speaks to them in Hebrew. And then it says in verse 1, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And so he gets their attention. He's connecting with them, becoming as they are. He wants to speak to them here. Number 2, look how he addresses, addresses them in verse 1. Brothers and fathers... He addresses them as a good Jew here. He says, brothers and fathers, way he addresses this hostile mob, that he might get their attention, that they might give him their ear. He's becoming all things to all men, that he might win some. Look at verse 3. We won't read the whole thing until just a moment. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in the city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. He's connected. He's saying, I'm like you. I'm like you. He's becoming all things to all men that he might win some. Keep going. Look at verse 12. 22, 12. He mentions, it's interesting, because he mentions Ananias, who affirms Paul. And listen to the way he describes Ananias. Think about how this is meant to land on the Jews. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Why do you say that? Well spoken of by all the Jews who live there came to me. So even in the way he describes that man, he's making this connection, becoming, I became as a Jew that I might win some. I might win the Jews. One more place, verse 17. 
He says, when I returned to Jerusalem, this is after his conversion, Paul says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, he's letting these people know I returned to Jerusalem and I'm praying in the temple. What I, I am a Jewish man. And he's trying to get their ear. He became all things. This man wants to win souls. So what I'm putting before you is this defense that Paul is making is not so much about himself and defending himself and self-preservation, but it's a defense of the glory of Jesus Christ as we read through the message. And he wants to save souls. And we see that as we read through this message. So what we need to do now is read through this message. So we're going to take it in four parts. For clarity's sake, we're going to take it in four parts. Starting in chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. And what we're going to see here is Paul reminds them of his past. He reminds them of his past. Brothers and, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said... I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So he's reminding them of his of his past. Plain sense of what we just read. He says, listen, he's speaking to this hostile Jewish mob. Listen to me. I was raised here. I, I came up under Gamaliel, one of the most famous Pharisees. I came under his teaching. I'm a disciple of his. I walked according to the strict order of the law, zealous for God like you are. In fact, I'm one that persecuted Christians to the death. He's getting their attention. He's saying, this is where I used to be, in the same place that you are. As he speaks to this hostile mob, I was in the same place that you are. And I think it's interesting as you read through this passage... That really, you, it's like he kills two birds with one stone. It's like he kills two false mindsets in one and just in one uh, opening paragraph here. He just kills two mindsets. And let me mention those two mindsets that are killed in this first paragraph, in this introductory statement. Number one, we see the death of merit-based salvation. We see the death of works-based, merit-based Salvation. Think about what he's saying as he lays out his merits. As he says, this is what I was. I was zealous for God like y'all. In the strict order of the law like y'all. But guess what? He realizes, man, I still need Christ. My works are not enough. In fact, they don't even take me halfway. Rather, all my righteous deeds are like filthy rags in his sight. So here's all my credentials, but I still needed Jesus and still need him now. And you need him too. Now we see something similar to this in Philippians chapter 3. Where Paul again in Philippians 3 lays out his credentials. A, a Jew of all the Jews. Hebrew of Hebrews. Strict according to the law. He lays out his credentials. And at the very end he says, and I count all of that. All of my credentials are like dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
So this is, look at Paul's life and hear his past and it kills merit-based, works-based salvation. People are going to go to hell forever because they think that their works make them right with God. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, on the other side of things, that we also have another mindset that's killed. And what is that mindset? It's this mindset that says, um, I'm just so sinful. I'm just too sinful. I'm too sinful for the Savior to save me. You don't know what I've done. I'm too sinful. No way. Maybe He saves these people, but He wouldn't save me. Because I'm just too wicked. I'm too evil. And you say, how does that get killed? Think about it. He just said, I persecuted this way to the death. This man had murder. Paul, according to this description, had murder in his heart. He was willing. He was a motivated murderer. He was willing to travel seven days on foot to Damascus just to grab people, drag them back to Jerusalem and have them killed. Because they followed Christ. It even says in Acts 26 that he wanted them to blaspheme. He, he tortured them to get them to say Christ is not the Messiah. Or Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not Lord. This is an evil, evil, evil man. You know what he says? 2 Timothy 1. And 1 Timothy 1. Stephen says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. And he says, of whom I'm what? Chief. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of sinners. And he saved me, it says in that passage, that it might be an example to everyone that God can save those who are in the deepest depths of sin. There's none too far from the reach of grace. Do you feel that this morning? I'm so sinful. I'm so evil. I'm so wicked. He would never save a man like me. You don't understand His grace. Do you see this man that He has saved? He took a persecutor of the church and made him a preacher of the gospel. He's a great Savior and He's greater than your sin. So here we've got two in the opening paragraph. Two birds killed with one stone. Second section of His message. Verse 6 through 11. What we're going to see here is his encounter with Jesus. So he was headed to Damascus to persecute Christians there. And now we're going to read about his encounter with Jesus. And you just imagine him looking at this hostile mob and telling them, listen, I just got to tell y'all what happened. Look at verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So what just happened here? Plain sense. He's headed to Damascus to persecute Christians. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus reveals himself to him in such a way that the man that's killing Christians ends up having his hand held like a little child and being guided back, guided into Damascus. Jesus revealed himself to this man. Christ has revealed himself to him. Now, what are some things as as Paul recounts this event to this hostile mob? What are some things that Paul Imagine him standing there and he's preaching to this mob. What does he want them to understand about Jesus? From, the, from giving, him, giving them that account, what, what does he want to communicate to them about Jesus, our Savior? I'll give you a few things here. He wants them to see Jesus as risen and alive. He says, I saw him. <laughs> I thought he was dead. I was killing everybody that followed him and I thought he was dead and on the road he showed up. And he showed up in power. So he wants him, he wants him to see Jesus as risen and alive. Now that's a powerful testimony coming from Paul the Apostle. Here's a man who is of high standing. Here's a man that he has nothing to gain. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has everything to lose. By saying that that man had risen from the dead. And yet he says. I saw him. I witnessed testimony. I saw this man. And he ain't dead. He ain't on the cross. And he's not in the tomb. He's alive even now as we speak. Also. He wanted them to see Jesus as powerful. Majestic light of the world. This is the powerful. Majestic Light of the world. He says, when he appeared, it was like a bright light that buckled my knees and blinded my eyes. He just showed up and I couldn't see anymore. Let me tell you about the power of this man. This man, Christ Jesus. Notice the timing. If you look at verse 6, it says at noon, at noon, at noon. In Acts 26, it says at midday. When the sun is at its brightest point, Jesus didn't show up shining when it was dark outside. When the sun was at its absolute brightest point, Jesus comes in brighter than the sun. He overwhelms the light of that powerful star that shines down on the earth. He's a Christ of power and majesty, light of the world. You go read in Acts 26, the same account, or he's given... The same account. And he says at midday, at midday, O king, Jesus appeared to me. It says, brighter than the sun. He wants him to see. Not only is he alive, but he is powerful. And he's majestic. And he's light of the world. Now, what else? He also wants him to see this about Jesus. He is one who loves and protects his people. And I hope it melts your heart. He loves and protects His people. You say, where do you see that? Look at verse 7. And I fell to the ground. There's Paul, knees buckled, eyes blinded. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What's interesting about that phrase? He says, why are you persecuting? Why are you persecuting me, Jesus? The powerful, majestic light of the world says, Paul, let me tell you what you're doing. You're persecuting me. Now, Paul was persecuting his bride. He was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians like me and you. And Jesus shows up. He says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. 
That I'm so one with my people that to persecute the church is to persecute Christ. This man loves. This Savior loves and protects His people. Keep reading verse 8. And I answer, Who are you, Lord? And He says it again. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now you imagine if that would have landed on them. Paul's telling his story that when Paul used to persecute Christians, Jesus showed up and said, you're persecuting me. And now Paul is the one being persecuted and he's looking at people that were just like him and he says, listen to me, you're not persecuting me, you are persecuting Christ right now. Every stroke against my back, every time you beat me down, every time you spit on me, you're doing it to Christ because he loves and protects me. I'm a part of his people, I'm a part of his bride. The glorious Savior that He's putting before them. Next section, third section of His message, verse 12 through 16. Now, what we're going to see here is Paul's encounter now with Ananias and then his conversion. Okay? Let's read it. And one Ananias, a devout man, According to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Plain sense here. Ananias shows up. God sent him. We know from Acts 9, God sent him. Ananias shows up and he says, Paul, and he heals Paul's sight. He, he was blinded by that bright light and he heals Paul. And he says, Paul... God has appointed you to see Him and to hear Him and to be His witness. Now rise up and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. He speaks to Paul. And of course Paul responds. Now who is this Ananias? Ananias is a Jew from Damascus. Think about it. He's one of the ones that Paul is headed to kill. One of the very ones that Paul is going to grab and drag to Jerusalem and see him punished hopefully with death. Is actually the man that comes to him and speaks to him the words of Christ. Now Ananias was a tested man. If you go read back in Acts chapter 9, uh, Jesus comes to Ananias and Jesus says, Ananias, I want you to go to this man Saul. He's at this certain place on the street called Straight. That's, that's where he's at. I want you to go there. And Ananias trembles. and says, uh, Lord, I've heard about this man. He's been killing a lot of Christians in Jerusalem and, and he's come here to kill us too. And I love that you go read the passage and Jesus says, go. Go. I'm going to let him know how much he's going to suffer for my name. And so Ananias has to move. His faith is tested. He says, oh, this is a fearful thing to have to go to this man. But I'm going to rise up and, in accordance with Jesus' words. I'm going to trust my Savior and go. So Ananias shows up and we read about it here in Acts 22. Ananias shows up and what does he say? In verse 14 and 15, he says, Paul, 
You're appointed by God. You're appointed by God to, to, to know His will and to see the righteous one. You saw Him. You're an eyewitness to the risen one, the righteous one. And to hear a voice from His mouth. And Paul, you're going to be a witness of His everywhere to what you have seen with your eyes and heard with your ears. And that's exactly what Paul has given to this hostile mob right now. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. Now, there's a few ways to see this. In a sense, we should see this in a, in a very real sense. We should see this as Paul's unique call into an apostleship here. Okay, You know, like I know. That to be an apostle, according to Acts chapter 1, you had to be an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. One of the main reasons why we know that there are no apostles today. Acts 1, you had to be an eyewitness. Well, Jesus reveals himself to Paul as an eyewitness, and Paul calls himself the last apostle. So what, we, what we're seeing here, in a, in a very real sense, is, is the calling of Paul as an apostle. And as we'll see in a minute, an apostle to the Gentiles. But there's another sense, and I want us to think like this too. There's another sense in which we can all liken our conversion to Jesus to what we see in Paul's life. There's similarities. There's things that cross over. That look at Paul's conversion, and there's similarities to every person in all nations and all time periods who has ever been converted to Christ. There are parallels between your conversion and Paul's conversion here. And so what I want to do is I want to show you four of those parallels between Paul's conversion and our conversion. Now one is this. All who are converted to Christ are converted to sinners, not seekers. You understand that? Look at where Paul's at. He is not seeking Christ. He is not seeking Jesus. He is running in the exact opposite direction of Christ. He's a hater of Christ and a persecutor of His church. He's not a seeker. He is a sinner. And in salvation, the only seeker is Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So everyone who has ever been converted is because they were sought by Christ. Number two. Everyone converted was converted because they were appointed by the Father and hunted down by Jesus. That's what it says here. He says, Paul, the Father has appointed you. That's the same way with all of us who are converted to Christ. That before time began, He chose us in Him. Before time began, in love, predestined us to adoption as sons. And here's Paul hunting Christians, not knowing that Jesus is hunting him. And it's the same thing for every one of us. Appointed by God before time began. And hunted down by Christ. Number three, a third parallel. Every person converted is converted because they see Christ and hear His voice. Now as the apostle, we mean that in an eyewitness way. He saw Him with His physical eyes before they went blind. And he heard his voice with his physical ears. He saw and heard as an apostle. But listen, every person who is converted to Christ is because God has shown himself. And, and this Jesus that you knew facts about, maybe you knew facts about him. He's a man. I heard he died on the cross, born in Bethlehem. All of a sudden, your spiritual eyes are open and you see this is conversion. 
that you were blind to the glory of Christ. You knew about him, but he wasn't beautiful to you. But then your eyes are open and you see the glory of Christ. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness shines in your heart that you might see the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 7, and 8. And also here, you might not physically hear, but you hear words that you've heard in the past and all of a sudden these words mean something to you. You heard it and you heard it and you heard it and you hardened your heart. But then when you were converted, you heard it for the first time that Christ Jesus is Lord. Christ Jesus is Savior and it meant something to you. It's conversion. And one more thing here. All who are converted are sent out as witnesses of Christ. He says that to Paul. Paul, you're going to be a witness everywhere of what you've seen and heard. And that's the same thing in a little different way. The same thing for all Christians. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All of us are saved and moved to being witnesses of Jesus in this dark world. Now I want us to meditate for a minute on verse 16. One of my favorite verses in this passage. Listen to what Ananias says. Just meditate on this with me. He's calling... Paul to conversion. Listen. And now, why do you wait? Rise. Be baptized. And wash away your sins. Calling on His name. What must you do to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. It's a phrase used throughout Scriptures. Calling on the name of the Lord. What must you do to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. Wash away your sins. How? By calling on the name of the Lord. But I thought it was repentance and faith. What well, is? They're connected, you see. They're connected. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on Him in whom they not believed? It's faith in Christ. But those who truly have faith in Christ, call out to Him. They've lost hope in all of their own works to save them. They have come to the end of the rope, to the end of themselves. They see themselves as deserving of wrath forever in hell. But they call on Christ because He's the only Savior. And they do it in faith. And they do it in repentance. You want a beautiful picture of repentance? You know, it's, you, hear, you hear that sometimes. I just, how do you define repentance? Come on, you know what repentance is. You know what it is. Listen to this. Look at this. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. And I said, so here's, here, think of, try to picture Paul in verse 10, 22, 10. His knees are buckled. His eyes are blinded. He's, he's on his face, on his back. I don't know, but he's there before Christ. And listen to what he says in verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? Man, here's a man. You'll know what repentance is. Here's a man. That is headed to kill anyone that calls Jesus Lord. Now he bows down and he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? That's a beautiful picture of repentance. This turn in the heart, this conversion of I'm moving away from my sin. I don't want me, myself, this world. I want Christ. It's faith in Him. So I call on the name of the Lord. I call on the name of Christ. This is how a man is saved. Now what happens when somebody calls on the name of the Lord? Now I told you we're meditating on that verse. Listen, remember what it said. Paul, 
Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. What happens when you call on the name of the Lord? Your sins are washed away. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Think about Paul sitting here. This man, this man sat while Stephen's being murdered, unjustly murdered. And he's protecting the clothing of the people that are stoning that innocent man. And that goes on his record before God. And he deserves hell for that sin. And in a moment, it's washed off the record. It's not there anymore. The sin that condemns him to hell is not there anymore. Here's Paul, this man that's breathing threats of murder and anger and hatred. A hateful heart. And all of a sudden, that hateful heart, that sin in that heart is washed clean. In a moment, when he called on the name of the Lord, in a moment, he's given justification so that his record in heaven that was full of sin is wiped clean. And in a moment, he's given regeneration that that dirty, sinful, wicked heart is wiped clean. He's given a new heart even. It's beautiful. What happens to a man who calls on the name of the Lord? His sins are washed away. When's the last time you thought, man, that's beautiful. My sins are washed away. And of course, this is one of the reasons he tells them to be baptized. Here's this picture. This picture of a man going under that water. Cleansed. The old man dead. New man raised to walk in newness of life. So he looks at him and says, Rise up, Paul. Be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to consider one more thing before we move from meditating on this verse. Consider the urgency of this verse. Consider the urgency here. Listen to this phrase. Why do you wait? That's what he said to him. Man's eyes are just healed. He just had an encounter with Jesus. He's not waiting very long, but to Ananias, it's too long, brother. Why are you waiting? Call on the name of the Lord, Paul. This is urgent. It's very urgent. And listen, some people in this room, I think, need to hear this. It is an urgent thing. You may not have, I'm not trying to make you afraid, but you may not have tomorrow. Do you understand that? We have seen a man walk out of this church meeting, go into the parking lot and drop dead. Rush to the hospital. Never breathe again. This is urgent. Why do you wait? Sin makes you feel, it hardens your heart and sin makes you feel like you've got time. You don't have time. And every moment you reject this message that I give to you, you harden your heart. Proverbs 29 speaks about the man who is often rebuked. Proverbs 29.1 He's often rebuked and yet he hardens his heart and he's suddenly going to be destroyed beyond remedy. The time comes when there's no more remedy for, for you. Don't wait if you're here and you're not in Christ. Why do you wait? My heart yearns for... You younger people, teenagers, and children here. You see me, children, listen to me. Young ones, listen to me. You are being lied to by Satan if you think I'm going to wait till I get older. That following Christ is an older thing. It's not. Jesus said, let those children come to me. Children, come to Christ. Follow Him. Listen to the words of Paul. Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Rise up, be baptized, wash away your sins, and call on the name of Christ. You may not have tomorrow. Don't harden your heart. 
Let's go to that final section of Paul's message, verse 17. And what we see here is, is Paul is now going to tell of his call to the Gentiles. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Plain sense, Paul says, Look, after this happened, I had this encounter with Christ. My sins were washed away. I was converted. I went back to Jerusalem. And I'm in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to me again. And He says this. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Jerusalem. They're not going to receive your testimony. And of course Paul. And it doesn't seem like he's being uh, rebellious here. But it seems like. Romans 10 verse 1. Where it says. My longing. And my deep desires. That Israel might be saved. And he's filled with that. And Jesus tells him to leave. He says, oh Lord, they, they know what I did. They know that those who believe in you, I beat them. And I imprisoned them. And I was sitting there when Stephen was getting killed. I was just sitting there approving of it. They know, Lord. I don't think he's being rebellious. I think he longs for these people to be saved. And Jesus answers him and says, go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you away to the Gentiles. And so what we get here is Paul has a special ministry that he's called to. He is an apostle to the Gentiles. You see that many places in the Word. One place would be Galatians 2.8 where Paul speaks about uh, Peter's apostleship to the Jews and his apostleship to the Gentiles. So here's this man, Paul. He's a, uh, a missionary going... Jesus calls him to be this missionary going all over the world to unreached people groups, going out to the nations. He says, no, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Now, what I want you to see next, he tells them all these things, okay? So here's Paul. He's in the middle of his speech. He's in the middle of his preaching. He's preaching to the hostile mob. He said these things. And what we see in verse 22, and this is your third heading on your study guide. Verse 22, we see his message interrupted. It's going to be interrupted here. Verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now Paul had a lot more to say. But all of a sudden, that hostile mob exploded, erupted again in anger and shouts to kill this man. What initiated the eruption? What was the problem? Why did they erupt in anger again? One word. Gentiles. Look at it again. Up to this word, 
They listened to him. What word? Last word he spoke. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. These people hated him. You see what hatred can do to you? They missed everything that that man just said. Did they miss what he just said? I've seen Jesus. You're thinking God on the cross. You're wondering why he's not in the tomb anymore. Because he's risen and alive. I saw him. Ask Ananias. Ask others. I saw this man. He appeared to me. My eyes went blind. I was taken. Did you not hear any of that? Filled with rage and hatred toward these Gentiles that are blind. They can't even see it. And they begin to call out for his death. It says here, away with him. This kind of man shouldn't even be on the earth. Away with him. Execute this man. One takeaway from that is that if you're going to be a Christian apologist, if that's what you want to do, like Paul here, you've got to be willing to be interrupted, hated, rejected, ridiculed, if you go read a similar account, another defense, another apology, uh, apologetic message over in Acts 26, verse 24. You'll read that one. And he's right in the middle of saying some very similar things. And all of a sudden, it says he's interrupting him with a loud voice. A man says, Paul, you've lost your mind. Much, much learning has driven you crazy. If you're going to be like Paul, you've got to be willing to be ridiculed, interrupted, hated, not listened to. Rejected. And here's what I want to do. I want to close with that, this thought of I want to encourage everybody here to imitate Paul. I want you to imitate him. I want you to be a Christian apologist. Now, like I said earlier, this word for defense in 22.1 is, uh, is that word we get uh, apologetics from. That word is going to come up over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts and Paul's speeches. But let me give you another place where that word is. 1 Peter, you can flip there. 1 Peter chapter 3. Another place where that word, apologia, is used. Let this be a takeaway for you, for all of us. 1 Peter 3.15 Grace Community Church Hear these words But in your hearts Honor Christ the Lord As holy Always being Prepared To make a defense That's the word Always being prepared To make a defense To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now it's interesting if you read the context around this verse. How much it sounds like Paul's situation in Acts 22. Now just look at it real quick. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. You'll be blessed. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled. But in your hearts. And it goes on. To the verse we just read. Doesn't that sound like Paul's situation? Leave the word one after that. Verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
Those who revile your doing good. Oh, excuse me. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Again, it sounds like Paul, doesn't it? A man slandered, a man suffering for righteousness' sake, and right in the middle. What do you hear? Look, set apart the Lord in your heart is holy. And always, Grace Community Church, always be ready to give a defense for anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with meekness and fear. Are you obeying this verse? My brothers and sisters, in imitation of Paul and obedience to 1 Peter 3.15, are you obeying this verse? Are you setting apart the Lord in your heart in this way and always being ready to be a Christian apologist? Are you ready for that? Are you obeying this verse? And here's the way Paul's life should encourage us as we attempt to obey this verse. That we would walk in bold apologetics. Did you, did you notice the boldness of this man? They just beat him to death. Oh, please just let me stop and say a word to him. That man is bold. Oh, God, fill us with boldness like that. Also, Christ-centered, soul-saving apologetics. So often people think about apologetics and thinking about, you know, scholastic stuff, sitting in a classroom somewhere, debating whether or not aliens exist. Just goofy stuff. And maybe there's a time for that. They don't. Uh, maybe there's a time for that, but listen to me. What we see in him giving defense is an exaltation of Jesus to a hostile mob for the salvation of their souls. Let that be your apologetics. Lift Christ up. Get to Jesus. Make a beeline to Him no matter what you're debating. Make a beeline to Christ. Preach Him and win souls. And then maybe one more thing, looking at His example of apologetics, uh, would be He was a Christian apologist until death. Until death. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting thing? He says, before he gets to Jerusalem, he says, I'm willing to be in prison and even to die. Even to die. I'm willing even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the name of Christ. And he doesn't know he's getting beat down. Maybe this is it. Until his very last breath. Maybe he thinks this is it right here. I'm, I'm gone. I'm about to die. Until his very last breath. Until the very end. An apologist till the end. And we want to be like that. We don't want to wear out. We want to keep moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to give up. We don't want to be discouraged. We don't want to stop. We want to be this way to our very last breath. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for giving us these words and this example of Paul. Lord, please help us. Help us, God, to be like him. Help us to be bold proclaimers of your word. Help us to lift up Christ and long for the salvation of souls. Don't let us get caught up in other pursuits, God, lesser things. God, rid us of desires for lesser things and lesser pursuits. Help us to be faithful to the end, Lord. God, I think about so many of those kings in the Old Testament. That at the beginning of their life, they followed you, but they turned away at the end. 
Lord, don't let us be like that. Hold us, God. You're our great intercessor. And you said that you would save us to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Christ. Lord, hold us. Hold us as, you're, as our great high priest. Hold us to the very end. And I pray that your, your beautiful gospel, Lord, the defense of the faith would be on our lips till our, till our last breath. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.